You're listening to Titan Nature's Yellowstone, a podcast for those that don't get out, can't get out, or can never get enough. Sponsored by Think Tank Photo. Think Tank Photo designs camera carrying solutions for working professionals. Welcome to another episode of Tied to Nature's Yellowstone. This is Adam Brubaker. I am going to go over with you the seasons in Yellowstone. So I am often telling people on my tours into Yellowstone, well, I guess, you know, people always want to know, what's the best time to visit Yellowstone? When should you go? And my answer to that is, the best time to visit Yellowstone is whenever you're there. That's because Yellowstone has so much to offer throughout the year. This is, this is how I break down kind of the seasons in Yellowstone. So we're going to go from November, kind of the first of November, to end of March, and then April, May, then June is off by itself. It, there's a lot going on in June, then July and August, and September and October, and that gets us through the year. So starting with, with that winter season, kind of November through March. Now, first part of November, most of the roads close in Yellowstone. That's true for everything except for the northern tier, the northern range from Gardner, Montana, out to Cook City, Montana. That's open year-round. Then the interior of the park, you know, if you want to go to Old Faithful or the canyon, the waterfalls, all of that is only accessible through a guide, or I should say mostly accessible. There's other ways, but your best way, the way most people are going to get in during the wintertime is through a snow coach with a guide or a snowmobile with a guide. So November, a lot of the park isn't accessible, but December 15th, the interior opens for the wintertime, and that goes through until March 15th. Now I'm going to start by talking about the interior because that's where I work during the wintertime. I drive snow coaches in Yellowstone in the wintertime. So I'll reference the interior and talk a little bit about kind of that northern range and what to expect too. So one of the things that people associate with Yellowstone is wildlife. And that's kind of one of the first questions that I'll often hear. Now, what wildlife are we going to see? So that's where I'm going to start. In the interior, on a regular basis, you can expect to see bison, coyotes, trumpeter swans, and different waterfowl. That's typically what you can see, but there's always kind of the wild card ones, the ones that may not be as consistent, but that are out there. And those would be the, the wolves, foxes, otters, pine martens, uh, long-tailed or short-tailed weasels, snowshoe hares, bobcats. All of them are out there, but not as consistent. So, for example, the, the wolves. Now, this year in Yellowstone, this, this last winter, I should say, from December to March, I saw wolves just the one time. I saw tracks a couple times. I know a couple guides that saw them maybe three or four times. A lot of that depends on, you know, the wolves are old faithful. I was at Canyon or the day off and the wolves showed up. But they just aren't, well, this year they were not very consistent compared to some years in the past. Now, with the wolves in the interior, the reason that they may not be as consistent is because. The, the wolves' main diet is going to be elk, and the elk are migrating. They're looking for areas where it's easier to 
access their food, grasses or shrubs. So they're going north, south, east, west, and the wolves have to follow them. Uh, Another one that I mentioned, bobcats. Now, years past, bobcats were a lot more consistent than they are now. This last winter, I saw some tracks. I didn't see any bobcats. I know a couple people that had some brief glimpses, nothing terrific or long viewings this last winter. Uh, One of the things that can make them hard to find is they're an ambush predator. So, for example, last year, I took three photographers in, and they wanted to photograph a bobcat as well as other wildlife. So we tracked the cat in a mile, two miles. The tracks led onto a, a fishing platform. This bobcat was under this fishing platform. I didn't go stick my head in there or anything, but we knew it was there. So we set up uh, a distance back, had the cameras ready. We must have been there from 7.30 or 8 to 11.30, just waiting for this bobcat to come out. And the three, the three guys I was with, they ended up getting cold. They needed to warm up. So we went for a drive for a half hour came back, and then that half hour that we were gone, Bobcat jumped out, got a duck, swam the river, and was going up the opposite hillside. And we got down there just in time to get a quick look, a couple pictures off, and that was it. So what you know, what I'm saying by that is Bobcats are patient, and they're good at hiding. They'll be hiding in log jams or in the rocks, or they blend in very well. So they can outweigh most photographers or other people that are trying to get a glimpse of a bobcat. And so that's wildlife on the interior. We go up to the northern side of the park. Wolves are going to be a lot more consistent up there and be able to see on a regular basis. Other things, you know, you have more bison up there, probably going to see elk, chance of bighorn sheep, maybe mountain goats. And some of those other things that I mentioned, otters, foxes, uh, weasels, you know, some of those things aren't as consistent. The wildlife viewing in Yellowstone can be pretty good in the wintertime. Now, to kind of go the other direction away from wildlife, you have the scenic side of the park, you know, the the thermal activity, the hot springs, the geysers, and also things like the waterfalls and the valleys. Start with kind of the thermal activity in Yellowstone. One thing to expect when you visit Yellowstone in the wintertime is steam. Yellowstone is a lot more dramatic in the wintertime. There's a lot of steam. You can almost see where every little hot spot is along the road. And with that steam, sometimes it can make it harder to view the hot springs and geysers. But it's kind of a trade-off. Trade-off is it may be a little harder to to see sometimes. You are able to hear it a lot better, especially like Old Faithful. In the wintertime, it's amazing to hear that water splashing, be able to hear it because you're not with 5,000 people like you might be in July. There's a couple hundred people out there. You don't have all the the traffic and things. So you know, it's a quieter time, and it is still incredible view, even with the extra steam. I had people this winter tell me they thought it was a whole lot better experience in the winter time, and be able to see it better. It is a lot more dra- dramatic, a lot more steam with it. You do get to see the water. It just, it's, you, ha- you haven't seen it in both seasons. You have to see it in both seasons. You know, you may not be able to see as deep into the hot springs, but you can still see the colors associated with them in the wintertime, even with the steam. But there's some elements of that steam and the the cold in the winter that makes it more unique, not only with the the, the thermal things, but the, the bison going through those thermal areas. Now, what's one of the incredible things, the bison is they'll get covered in the ice and frost and 
that happens a lot in the thermal areas is that moisture comes off and it freezes to the bison and they kind of become part of that whole equation. You, know, you see the bison and the steam. It's, it's one of those things that just, it's Yellowstone in the wintertime. So beyond the geysers and hot springs, you also have, you know, I'll mention the lower falls in the Grand Canyon of Yellowstone. That's a very popular spot. And it's different in the wintertime as well. Expect a lot of ice. You know, maybe most of the waterfall is going to be frozen. Maybe there's 100 to 200 feet of ice at the base of the waterfall, which covers up part of it. But again, just that different, that unique experience. You know, the valleys, you know, Hayden Valley, as you get into February, you're just going to see what I call the grumpy old men out there, the grumpy old bison, the single guys. You know, most of the herds are going to leave that. That is where we're looking for foxes as well. You know, I see the bald eagles out there. So the valleys are very, well, Hayden Valley, it's a beautiful scenic area. You're not going to experience the same wildlife that you would in the, in the wintertime. Lamar Valley is a little different. Uh, it's still not going to be the same as you would experience it in the summertime. But you do have a lot more bison in general on that northern range. So one very important part to think about in the wintertime is the temperatures. From December through March, you're going to have temperatures anywhere below negative 20, uh, a high of 40 or so. So a huge temperature range, usually first part of January or into January seems to be the coldest time. It's going to be cold out there. It's going to be snowy. It's going to be lots of snow. And I've had times where people get out of the coach and they're excited to see something, get that they're on a packed road and they take a step. And all of a sudden, they're up to their knee or to their thigh in snow. It is going to be cold. It's beautiful. As far as access in the park to places to stay, the only places in the park you'll find would be Mammoth Hot Springs and then well, the Mammoth Hot Springs Hotel and the Snow Lodge at Old Faithful. With coronavirus, that was a little different this year. Hopefully, in coming winters, we'll see those facilities back open. West Yellowstone is probably the most popular place to visit in the wintertime. The great, it has the greatest accessibility to the park. You can also find trips out of Jackson going through the south entrance and out of Gardner coming down from the north and out of Cody coming in from the east. Oh, that's quick synopsis of winter. And again, that's somewhere from December through March. There's kind of this transition period as you go in from March into the April and May months. One thing that happens towards the end of March is we typically start seeing first grizzly bears come out of hibernation. Uh, as you move into April, you start seeing a lot more bears and even more into May. So you're going to start with the big males, the boars that come out first. And then usually by May 1st, you're going to start seeing the, the sows or the females with cubs of the year cubs that were born during hibernation. So this is when you're going to start seeing bears. This is also when the bison calves are being born. So from sometime in probably mid-April, especially into May, you're going to start seeing the red dogs. A red dog refers to a bison calf. They're a red color when they're first born. This time of year, you're going to see a lot of the same animals that you would see in the wintertime. You know, we're starting to see migrations. You know, animals moving back into different parts of Yellowstone. The elk are coming back. Something to consider here 
is that first half of April, so up until about that third week or so of April, probably, is the interior is still not accessible. Starting about the third week of April to the end of May, the roads are going to start opening sections at a time. And then usually by the end of May, kind of the Memorial Day weekend, all of the roads will be accessible in Yellowstone. Weather at this time, snow is melting. There's still going to be snow on the ground. Trails are going to be muddy. It's going to be wet. You might experience rain or snow. And it's one of those times that it's very variable. You know, if you don't like the weather, wait 15 minutes. It'll probably change. That goes for any time in Yellowstone. Weather changes fast and you should dress in layers and kind of always be prepared for some kind of cold. Even in July and August, you might wake up and it's going to be 40 degrees and be 80 by the end of the, the day. So throughout the season in Yellowstone, think layers when you're, you're preparing to, to visit. Uh, other things that you might encounter at this time is less crowds. You know, we're not quite to that busy season. Things are still picking up. Uh, more people are starting to come. As far as wildlife, harlequin ducks is something to add to the list. Typically, you'll find those at Lahardy Rapids. They're kind of the extreme sports duck. I guess if the duck world has extreme sport, you know, they like to ride the rapids. They enjoy the, the rougher water. We have this small population that nests in Yellowstone. Typically, you're going to find the harlequin duck is a, a coastal duck. And if you don't know what the harlequin duck is, maybe you're thinking, uh, oh, just a duck. Well, go look it up. Type in harlequin duck on Google. Take a look at it. It's a beautiful bird. Speaking of birds, you know, we're getting our migrating birds back in. We're starting to see the warblers and everything that's is coming back in as they're migrating. They're preparing to set up territories, nesting during this time. As you get into May, baby season starting, you're starting to see some wildflowers poke through. You know, that time of year, it's smaller stuff, maybe glacier lily or spring beauty. You know, a couple of these flowers that uh, the bears will be digging up and eating the bulbs or roots or different parts of them. So that's kind of what to expect in that April to May time. Get into June, there's a lot happening. And so with June, again, let's start with the wildlife. I mentioned babies are coming towards the end of May. Well, those babies are getting really visible in June. Elk calves, usually we say, you know, last week of May, first week of June is when the elk are calving. Not till really June that you start seeing a lot more visibility. They lay low for a while. You know, chances of seeing bighorn sheep lambs, mountain goat kids, pronghorn fawns, deer fawns, moose calves. Moose are tough though. I'm going to take a little sidetrack here and moose are hard to find in Yellowstone. I would say the best time to try to see them is in the winter out past kind of the far end of Lamar Valley, as well as maybe through that springtime. They're, they're a tough one to find in Yellowstone. One of those that don't hold your breath on, but they are are out there. Wolf puppies, coyote puppies, fox, oh, badgers. Those are some of the babies you might see in June. And so along with the baby animals, this is hard for a lot of people, but also comes a predator. Because those babies are vulnerable, and the predators, the wolves, the bears, they have, they have babies, they have puppies or cubs, they need to feed as well. Those two things go hand in hand. One of the neat things is it's, it's wild, and it might be hard to witness. Think about it this way. This is how I think about this. I love to see 
the behavior of the animal? You know, why are they doing what they are doing? And so here's, here's an example for you. It happened a couple years ago. I was on tour, and we had stopped at the Yellowstone picnic area for, for lunch, and we were having a picnic lunch, and somebody notices there's a, a deer fawn kind of on the, the downhill side from the picnic area. So we're up on this hill, and you can look down and see this deer fawn kind of hidden the grass, just laying there. Mama, the doe, isn't around anywhere. And then pretty soon a fox shows up. Now, for the group that I was with, this was too much for them to be able to try to witness or you know, watch what was going to happen. So I sat with them, and I went back and forth to kind of see what was going on. And you had a lot of people gather on the hillside there to watch this. And it was, you know, half of them were rooting for the, the deer fawn and yelling at the fox to go away. The other half were rooting for the fox. And the fox, well, start with the deer fawn. The deer fawn doesn't have much of a scent. So the, it's hard for the fox to go and find it when it's still this young. So the fox is kind of zigzagging around looking. And after a little bit, it finds it. And the deer fawn, you know, jumps up and starts running and kind of crying for mom. And then here comes mom out of nowhere, and she starts chasing the fox away, and the deer fawn lived to lived another day. Now, with that story, the the fawn won. But you got to think on the reverse side of that coin, the fox or the fox babies, the puppies, they didn't win that day. You know, did they go hungry that day? And so for me, with this behavior and this these interactions, it's not who won or who lost, it's, it's nature, it's wild, and it's be able to watch the whole interaction take place. One will win and one will lose. So that's something to think about when you visit Yellowstone. It's wild out there. You don't know what you're going to see, what you're going to come across, and it's, it's not worth disrupting everything. Just watch and let nature take its course. We've all learned about the circle of life, and that's what's happening out here. You have kind of both sides at that time. You know, you have all the babies, you have the predators, there's a lot going on. I think June is one of the best months to find a bear in the park. Beyond the mammals, you also have birds. Birds are starting to nest. You know, this actually happened this this last year. We were walking on the boardwalk, and there was a, a call, some peeping, some little birds calling from this hollow tree next to us. And there was a woodpecker hole, and uh, a northern flicker was flying back and forth to this to its babies in this cavity. Birds are starting to nest. There's places that you can see different nests. I'm not going to share any locations here specifically. If you're interested, feel free to reach out to me through email or text. Ask where you might be able to see things because there's places that peregrine falcons nest, a great horned owl nest, osprey nest, bald eagle nest. I, you know, this last year I also saw a place where a swan was nesting Sandhill Crane was nesting. Most of these are not very accessible or they're out of reach or, you know, it's something that you're parked somewhere and you're looking through a spotting scope or binoculars to get a good view of and to be able to keep your distance. And all of these, these nesting places I'm talking about, I'm not going to tell you a specific place that you can go and you know, walk up to a nest and look down. I mean, these are places like at the Grand Canyon of Yellowstone. There's a great example. There is an osprey nest right out in the middle of the canyon. That's not accessible. You're not going to disturb the birds out there, but it's a place that you can watch, be able to witness what's going on inside of a nest from a good distance. And so those are things that I can share. 
you know, there's the same thing with a bald eagle nest out in uh, Lamar Valley. You know, it's across the valley. Nobody's going to be able to walk out to it and climb this tree and disturb these bald eagles. Uh, there's a place that you can be on the road, look through a spotting sc scope, and observe them. Uh, as far as the hot springs and geysers and things in Yellowstone, uh, it's a great time to see them. You know, you're going to have, again, this, this kind of goes throughout the whole year. You start in the mornings, you're going to have some steam, and you know, visibility is going to be a little less as you wait. That warms up through the day. Visibility is going to be great. So overall, June's an awesome time to come to Yellowstone. Weather can still be unpredictable, but it's nicer. You're getting nicer days. It's a great time to be in Yellowstone. So from there, let's transition to July and August. July and August, here's what you're going to hear from people. Oh, it's crowded. You don't want to go during July and August. There's too many people. I don't agree with that. There is people. There's a lot of people. Parking lots will be full. But I'll tell you what, I've been to Chicago once before. Chicago had a lot of people. Sacramento has a lot of people. New York has a lot of people. I mean, there's people wherever you go. A couple things to think about is, one, just be patient. You know, yeah, the parking lot might be full, but give it a few minutes and somebody's going to be leaving. There's always people coming and going. And so you'll be able to find something. Just wait another, you know, wait 10 minutes, 15 minutes, and you'll be able to find a place. Uh, there is always plenty of parking at uh, Old Faithful. You know, you might have to park a little further out and walk in. You have to do the same thing at the mall. As far as traffic and having traffic jams or anything in Yellowstone, that's typically not the case. You know, the time that you really get traffic jams, is going to be, well, one, I guess, once Old Faithful erupts. You know, Old Faithful goes off, a lot of people are leaving, all of a sudden you got this, all the people trying to get out at one time. Yeah, you're going to have some traffic there. Another time is when bison are in the road, and your traffic might back up. And so here's what you want to do. I, so bison are in the road, you come up to them, it's like, what do you do? You've never, you know, most people have never had to drive through a herd of bison before. And so there's excitement there. So here's what you want to do. You drive up and there's bison just off the road and you want to see them, or maybe they're on the road, is first thing, find a pullout. Find a pullout that's maybe 25 yards away from the bison where you can safely get out of your car and see them that way. Or if they're too close and there's no pullout, try to get all your tires over that white line. And that way, any other traffic that's coming through, they can keep on going. Maybe the guy behind you, has already seen a bison a few times, and he's trying to get, you know, catch the next Old Faithful eruption. So just pull over and get off the side of the road. You know, if the bison are right in front of you, and you're like, there's no way through this, what you want to do is if you do get a chance to go around them, go around them, watch for on oncoming traffic, or just kind of keep on creeping. You don't want to touch the bison, you don't want to honk your horn, but just kind of creep, creep forward. And these bison will kind of eventually move and allow you to get through. Bison will create traffic jams. And I think it, again, it goes back to people are excited. They want to be right there next to the bison and have them right outside their car. Just remember the, the guy behind you and they're all excited and they want to see the same thing. And if we pull over or if we find that pull out, 
you'll have a much better experience as well as all those people behind you. And one of the great things about Yellowstone is there's not a shortage of bison. You know, if you find that there's a crowd of people somewhere, like, I'd really like to see the bison, but there's so many people here, go up the road a little ways. Go to Hayden Valley, go to Lamar Valley, and you'll be able to experience the bison without the the crowds of people that you would, let's say, along the uh, the bison are somewhere between West Yellowstone and Old Faithful. You might have quite the crowd building. There's a way to beat those crowds. If you're not willing to kind of wait around or, you know, don't have the patience for some of the congestion you're going to see, start early or come in late. It gets light at 530 to 6 in the summertime. Nice and cool out. It's a great time to see wildlife. So if you get in the gate through before 7 o'clock, you're going to beat the crowds. You know, I mentioned in the morning, you're going to have a little bit of, you know, it's going to be a little colder. It's uh, going to be a little harder in the visibility. But when that light first comes up, when the sun comes up and it, it hits the steam and casts that yellow glow, it's hard to beat that. So you can still see it in the morning at sunrise or get in at 8 or 9 o'clock to Old Faithful, and there's going to be like nobody else there. You'll have it to yourself. Or go out to Hayden Valley where, or Lamar Valley at sunrise and, you know, see the wildlife. Is it still active? July and August, it's harder to see them because it's warms up. It's hotter. They want to get out of that sun. Go early or stay late. You know, come in after five. You know, most people are on that eight to five schedule. They, they have breakfast. They go in the park for the day. They're leaving to try to find dinner. Well, at five o'clock, it's still beautiful. It's still warm out. It's going to be light until nine or 930. And it's easier to find a parking place. You're not waiting in line. Still a great time to see Old Faithful uh, as it gets cooler in the evenings. Wildlife is coming back out. And so something to think about. Then you're wondering, well, what am I going to do in the middle of the day? That middle part of the day when it's the hottest and everything, that's a great time to book your whitewater rafting trip or do your horseback ride or... Go to the Grizzling Wolf Discovery Center if you're in West Yellowstone. Visit the museums over in Cody. Uh, there's there's things to do, and so I mean that's how I would that's how I would do it. You know, to, if I wanted to try to avoid some of the crowds, there's ways to do that. So July and August is still an incredible time to come. And let me tell you, I should tell you why. Why is July and August so great if there's so many people, right? Well, it's because it is the best time to see the hot springs and geysers. There's the least amount of steam. It's it's the hottest time. The sun is just making those colors pop. Be able to see the orange and the blues and the greens in the hot springs. See Old Faithful erupt with little steam, very little steam. You get a, a great show of just water. And so I think it's the best time to see the hot springs, the geysers in stone. And it is also the best time to see the bison. The bison are in the rut. That's their mating season from about the end of July through August. They are vocal. They're bellowing. They're rolling, kicking up dust. They're chasing each other. They're fighting. And it is incredible to see the bison at that time. And it's one of those times to think about, you know, with the wildlife throughout the park, there are certain rules that you're supposed to live by. So 25 yards is the distance you're supposed to keep from bison, elk, the majority of the animals. For wolves and bears, it's 100 yards. During that rut, 25 yards seems a little close sometimes. Now, these are 1,000 to 2,000 pound animals that can run 
30, 35 miles per hour and jump six vertical feet. Bison is a great thing to see at that time. You know, through the month of July, as for me on my tours, I see bears all the way through July, whether it's a Old Faithful trip or, you know, a, a trip to Lamar Valley. You can still find bears. They're a little harder. Well, it might be a lot harder to find. You know, you might be looking a greater distance away. You, know, you might have to look a mile out on the other side of the valley. As you get into August, that changes and it becomes a lot harder to find a bear. But one of the things is it becomes a lot harder, but it could give you an opportunity that's just incredible again with seeing the bears. So what happens is I mentioned this rut. These bison will go head to head and they're going to fight. And sometimes one of the bison or a couple of bison or, you know, somebody's going to succumb to their injuries and die. And all of a sudden there's a 2,000 pound animal out there. and Bears and wolves and coyotes and everything sees that as a food source. So you might get lucky and have a, a morning you go out and you see four, five, six, seven, eight bears all in one area waiting for a turn at this carcass. Plus a pack of wolves there, the bald eagles, the ravens, the coyote, everybody kind of waiting their turn to see if they can take advantage of this food source there. So that's one of the things that happens in August. Anyway, so July and August, despite what people think, I think it's a great time to be in Yellowstone. Moving into September and October, as you get into September, elk. Think elk. Because elk go into their rut. And that's when they start bugling, they get vocal, they get, you know, a single bull elk might you know, have a harem of 20 to 30 females that he's covering, you know, trying to keep other males, other bulls away. And I, what I've noticed is the morning seems to be the best time in general for the elk and during the rut, they're, they're seeing the action and hearing them get out in their mornings, but you will see, and you can experience that throughout the day. Bears start to pick up some bears are getting more visible. They're going into a state of hyperphagia, which means they need to fatten up for the winter time. So they're getting more active than they were in August and July. Uh, again, they're not as visible as when they're first coming out of hibernation in May and June. And there's a couple of reasons for that. One of them is, you know, some of these bears and the food sources they're finding during that fall time are going to be at higher elevations. So when Dunraven Pass is accessible, great place to try to look for bears. Uh, you might be just watching the high elevations of your binoculars to try to find. You know, I should mention wolves. I forgot to mentioned wolves in July and August. It's a transition time. Leaving that den and going to a rendezvous site could be a great time for wolves, depending on where they, they bring the puppies, where the rendezvous site is. As you go into September, October, puppies are now traveling more with the pack, and it becomes a little bit more difficult to find them because they are not going to be pinpointed in one location. September, October, we don't have a lot of fall colors in Yellowstone. You'll see some of that on the northern side of the park around Mammoth Hot Springs and along the road as you go out to Lamar Valley. But really for the fall colors in this area, I'd recommend Grand Teton National Park. And the other one I want to mention in the fall time that's kind of a highlight for me are great gray owls, one of the largest owls in North America. Again, I'm not going to share exact locations, but there are some places that you can find these owls. And with with the owls like this, it's tempting to get closer, 
or forget, you know, well, it's just a bird. You know, you have to be 25 yards away. During this time, the, the owls are actively hunting. So if we give them their space, they will be able to hunt and be able to watch them fly and catch different rodents and things in a great setting as we stay back, as we approach those birds, they can't hunt like they, they typically would. And then it interferes with them. And that goes with all the animals. It, you know, I mentioned the the distance you want to be, but also think about changing the behavior of the animal. Try to prevent changing. But that's kind of Yellowstone through the seasons. Now, I probably missed some things. I could probably add more things. Uh, in coming episodes, I'm going to break down these seasons. I'm going to break down the wildlife. I'm going to give you more in-depth information about Yellowstone, where to go, certain areas. Stay tuned, future episodes. But I do want to leave you with two items. One, a safety tip, and the other one, gear recommendation. Safety tip, bear spray. Bear spray is kind of like an insurance policy. You may not need it, but it is great to have if you do. Now, I recommend bear spray if you're doing any hiking, any trails, going off the road, going to be maybe off by yourself. Bear spray is something that you just need in Yellowstone, something to think about. There's different ways to get bear spray. There's places that rent it, that sell it, borrow it. Maybe at the front desk of the hotel that you're staying at has a can. Bear spray by itself is not going to do you any good unless you realize what it is and how to use it. As I've seen times where people think bear spray is something like a mosquito spray that you sprayed on yourself or you know, sprayed on the kids as a repellent. It's, it's not that. It's more of a mace. Bear spray is used to be used to spray at a bear. Do some reading up on it. Watch the videos they have. Learn what it is. Get familiar with it. How to release the safety. You know, chances are you won't need it, but it's something that's important to have just in case. Gear recommendation uh, when visiting Yellowstone is binoculars and or a spotting scope. These can come in very handy. Might be sometimes you do get the bison or the bear or something right off the road in here. You don't need a pair of binoculars. But more often than not, you're going to roll up somewhere. There's going to be a group of people with spotting scopes. You're going to ask what they're looking at. They're going to tell you. And without a pair of optics, it's going to be hard for you to be able to view that. A couple different ways. I mean, you could borrow a pair from somebody before you go. You'll probably know somebody with a pair of binoculars or a scope. Uh, you could purchase a pair, or maybe you, you already have a pair. Or there's places to rent optics. You have Yellowstone Camera out of West Yellowstone, Montana, that has spotting scopes and binoculars for rent. Or Optics Yellowstone out of Gardner, Montana. Now, as far as what to look for in a pair of binoculars, I like a pair of binoculars that are 8 by 32 So 8 is your magnification, and 32 is your objective you also see 8x42s, 10x32, 10x42. You kind of find what works for you as far as the magnification you like, the field of view you like, and also you know, try out the binoculars. Try to get a pair in your hand. I've noticed I've used a, a pair of Vortex in the past. They didn't fit me. I would uh, push them all the way together, and my eyes were just too close together. I could never get a good field of view. What I use right now are Zeiss binoculars. I have the Zeiss Conquest as well as the Terra HDs, and they fit me very well. They're great 
pair of binoculars. They're a higher-end binocular. With higher-end binoculars, you're going to have better clarity, better low light, you know, better glass, fog resistance, different aspects to help with your viewing. And so that's that's what I use. And on my tours, you know, the spotting scope that you're going to see in my vehicles is is from Zeiss. Now, if you can't make that commitment and or you don't need a pair of binoculars, you know, that you don't use them very often, you're just getting into it. You know, look at something from Nikon. Uh, I've used Nikons in the past I've been happy with. One of the pairs of binoculars you're going to find in my vehicles for guests to use are going to be the Nikon Alculon 8x32s. I use those because they they take a lot of impact. Um, the kids use them, people use them, they get dropped, they get drugged through the dirt, and they tend to hold up very well. And I've had a lot of compliments on that binocular. Find a pair of binoculars, find a spotting scope. You know, with a spotting scope, bring a tripod with you. It can make a big difference in viewing wildlife. So uh, thanks for tuning in. If you feel like you're not getting enough through the week between these podcast episodes, go find us on Facebook or Instagram or YouTube to kind of fill in that space and find out uh, what's going on in Yellowstone. And until next time, this is Adam Brubaker with Tied to Nature's Yellowstone. Thanks for listening to Tied to Nature's Yellowstone, the podcast for those that don't get out, can't get out, or can never get enough. Keep up to date with Tied to Nature and Think Tank Photo on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Ooh.